Um, I've gotten a couple of emails from some listeners, and I thought we we could talk about those. All right. No hints beforehand. Uh, nope. <laughs> I read a charming story of how not to stir almond butter. <laughs> nice. This episode is sponsored by Harvest. I used Harvest to track time, track subcontractors' time, and invoice clients. Their time tracking is really simple and easy to use. Invoicing includes a pay now function by credit card and PayPal, and you can sign up at getharvest.com. Use the code RF to get 50% off your first month. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 18 of the Ruby Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Eric Davis. Hello. We also have Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? And I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week we're going to read some emails that I've gotten from some of our listeners. And uh, we'll we'll talk about, um, you know, just, just give them some answers and some of the things that we think will help them out. Um, the first one that I want to read is um, from Josh Moore. And he says, um, hi, Charles. I want to say thanks for all the great content. I listen to Ruby Rogues, JavaScript Jabber, and Ruby Freelancer Show. I learn a lot from the podcast and really appreciate you taking the time to do them for the community. I am really enjoying the Ruby Freelancer show because I am strongly considering becoming a Ruby Freelancer as my next job. I've worked for about four years as a Ruby developer and plan to do more for another year or so before I go freelance. I know that it is important for me to use the next year or two to prepare to be a freelancer and start to market myself. I know I need to work on my blog more. Also, I'm currently doing a freelance project on the side for a friend. I'm planning to use this as a portfolio project and use my friend as a reference. The only catch that I can see is that the project is mostly JavaScript, a single page JavaScript app sitting on a Rails JSON API. I'm a little worried that wanting to go into Ruby freelancing, but having my first in parentheses and when I start probably only portfolio project to be so heavenly JavaScript, then it might not be the marketing tool I'm looking for. So I'm hoping you can give me some quick thoughts on this subject. Thanks so much. So it seems like the question is really, what if I only have one project in my portfolio and it is mostly JavaScript? Can I still do Ruby or Rails freelancing? I mean, in my opinion, I think it's fine. Um, a lot of the stuff I'm seeing is like all of this Rails stuff is all JSON APIs and then everyone's doing JavaScript HTML5 on the client. So that's kind of the modern way of doing it. Um, I mean, one thing he can do is how he writes it up in his portfolio. He can kind of you know, steer it more towards the API side. Like, okay, here's all the things I did. Here's some performance things we had to do, technical considerations on the server. Um, and so even if it's most of the code was JavaScript, he can highlight a lot of the Ruby and Rails side of it if he wants that kind of work. Yep. And also, also go, Jeff. I was going to say, I mean, he caveated this whole thing by saying it's probably going to be another year or something before he before he starts. I mean, obviously no one has, I have no idea how big this side project is going to be. But I mean, in a year you could get a significant amount of stuff done and contribute to open source or do whatever. I mean, a year is a long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other thing is, is that for me, I have to say when I went freelance, I mean, how many projects did I have under my belt that w it was just me that built them and stuff like that? I didn't have any. Um, I mean, I had teachmetocode.com and things like that where 
you know, I, I probably had a better marketing platform than, you know, than maybe Josh here does, but, um, I didn't, I didn't have any projects in my portfolio and ultimately it didn't really matter. Um, you know, if, if I got a client that had a strong background in programming or Ruby on rails, then I could interview with them and convince them that I knew what I was doing. And if they didn't, then what really mattered to them was that, you know, I was able to get in and deliver. So, you know, and also like, I mean, I don't know, he said he had a couple of years experience in rails already. I mean, if you go into freelance and you've been working as like a full-time employee in Rails for a couple of years, like that's pretty good too. I mean, you can say like, you know, I was an employer and due to, you know, employment contracts and NDAs, I can't talk about what I did specifically, but you can kind of highlight like, yeah, we did some stuff with Postgres, maybe some GIS stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's another thing you can talk about in your portfolio. And in fact, a lot of the projects I work on, I can't even talk about because of NDAs. So that's not really a bad thing. It kind of will come down to the client. We'll ask you like, hey, have you worked on this? What's your experience with this? And you can kind of generalize and talk with them instead of having one portfolio piece that just sells the client. Yeah, that, that's another thing that I've seen too, where um, I've been doing Rails for three or four years when I went freelance. And yeah, it, it was a lot the same. I worked for this company. You can go see their site here. I work for this company. You can go see their site here and here are some of the things that I did for them, you know, and give them as much detail as I legally can so that they can get an idea. Oh, okay. So this is the kind of stuff that he did. It also helps too, if you can explain to them that you not only were involved in developing it, but also managing the project to a certain degree that that usually makes them feel a little bit better because they feel like you can help get in and, you know, design, um, design things from a, an architecture standpoint and design things from a, a, a usability perspective and, and make sure that you can communicate with them. Anything else any, any you guys want to add on this? I guess it all depends on who you're going after when you start freelancing too. I mean, if you're trying to to win over a startup or some big corp company or if you're trying to sub to another established freelancer, I mean, it's all going to change the type of portfolio or background you need to present to somebody. Because It's a different story if it's a VC-funded startup that wants you to build the next Twitter instead of somebody that's slammed with work and needs a reliable sub to help them. And if you can convince them that you have the technical chops through interview or through whatever, I mean, it's a different scenario. So, I mean, and part of that matters too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one other thing that I've seen with a lot of the clients or people that I talk to and that other people talk to and then tell me about is that ultimately, um, for most of your clients, at least in, in my case, um, they don't care so much, you know, whether it's mostly JavaScript on the front end, you know, and then um, backing up onto a, a Rails app that provides an API or whether it's, you know, all Rails and, you know, just a little bit of JavaScript. They, it doesn't matter so much to them. What really matters is that they can get on the site and that they can see it do something that they want. And if that's the case, then it doesn't matter what the technology is. It just matters that, you know, you can give them what they're asking for. Yeah, and here's a, a real quick tip. Cause he's talking about how he wanted to blog a bit more. This uh, side project or whatever portfolio piece he's doing, as he's working on it and you know after it's done he could turn that into a case study i mean he could do at least a blog post on the server side part at least a blog post on the client side part he can do like a you know a postmortem of the whole project and that sort of stuff a lot of people like reading and especially if it's a friend of his and it's kind of his portfolio piece it's there's going to be more likely that his friends going to be open to letting him talk about it and some of that stuff some blog posts can be actually better than portfolio pieces because you get to describe it 
and especially if you can really write good or even just decently, um, clients might be able to go through, read it, and be like, yeah, this guy actually knows how to communicate. He's not some developer in his basement coding that I'm not going to hear back from in four weeks. Mm -hmm. It it also works out really well both for you and for the client because essentially if you mention, you know, I worked on this project at, you know, at myawesomesite.com, then you're giving publicity to myawesomesite.com and demonstrating what you were able to do. And it, it gives them a concrete example of what is in your portfolio. Well, that's part of it. And the other part that I think Eric is hitting on is uh, customers are going to have problems that they need solutions to. Uh, and you mentioned the technology doesn't matter. And for the most part, that's true, though. It seems to be uh, maybe not noticed taking over. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen that as much. But people get, especially in that valley, people get this idea that Rails is the only way to go. But I mean, that. A customer, as long I mean, uh, maybe a non-startup customer is interested in some sort of solution. They need to put some process that's killing them or killing their business online. And if you can convince them that you've done something similar or been able to take what some business person explained in waves on a whiteboard or hand waves on a whiteboard and put it on the web, then that's going to be a whole lot more convincing than rattling off CoffeeScript and Node.js and blah, 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 blah. Yep. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, yeah. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, not just, it doesn't have to be a case study, but yeah, just putting something out there on a blog, um, something interesting, it, it really makes a lot of difference. And um, one other thing that I want to just uh, back Eric up on with what he said was that, um, and I didn't even make this video, which is kind of the funny thing, but uh, one of the original videos on teachmetocode.com is uh, how to build a Twitter clone. And um, there are six parts of it. I think it's probably two to three hours long. Eric Berry actually recorded it. And I get emails um, pretty regularly from people saying, you know, hey, you know, can you help me build a Twitter clone? Or you know, I watched the video and can you actually just do this for me? And, uh, you know, so just, just having something out there that demonstrates that you've done it. Um, just, just as Eric was saying, I mean, I, I, I'm just saying case in point, it worked, it's worked for me. So, um, but yeah, just putting a blog out there, a podcast out there, you know, just, just opening the door. Um, I think we keep, uh, bringing this book up, but get clients now explains, um, a lot of this and how to build it into your, uh, marketing funnel. Um, but yeah, just, you know, really get out there. And if, if you have a marketing funnel, then what you may find is that you, you can slowly make the transition so you start moonlighting um you know you pick up a client or two here or there that you can work on in the evening after work and then before too awful long you're to the point where it's like look i've got to pick between the two and uh the freelancing seems more fulfilling and maybe more lucrative than having a full-time job and so then you then you get the payout that way and then it's not this okay well a year or two now i'm ready and i'm gonna jump but it's you know in, in a year or so or in six months it's i've got i've got enough freelance work to where i don't need to keep keep this job any other thoughts before we move on to the next email no. all right so um i got another email from and i know i'm gonna misspell or mispronounce this name flavio simahayan um he says um, Chuck, I'm a big fan of your shows. I listen to all of them as soon as they come out. You've inspired me to start freelancing Ruby and the advice from the Ruby Freelancer show. I have four projects I'm working on concurrently. And as of this week, three contractors in Romania, which is where I'm from originally. Um, and, and this was just a thank you, but I wanted to read it to you guys because, um, I, I think it's cool. I think, I think it just rocks that we're inspiring people to go out there and, you know, find something that, that works for them that, uh, you know, maybe gives them a little more fulfillment and that makes their life better. So we 
we have made one life better. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then um, this is the last email that, that I have. And then um, if we still have time, then maybe there are a few other topics that we can go into. But um, basically, um, this is from a guy that took over a project that I was working on. And uh, he said, hey, I wanted to shoot you an email and let you know that I've recently become a full-time freelancer. I've been listening to your podcasts at rubyfreelancers.com. And I find them quite help- helpful. Thank you for making those. Um, I'm actually based in San Francisco. And I'm finding as I seek contracts by the hour, I keep getting pushed down the path to become a full-time employee, mostly with startups. Having been a salaried employee for many years, I know that I tend to become emotionally invested in organizations that I have very little control over. Yeah, that was always my problem. I'm reluctant to enter into another situation like this, i.e. if I work for another startup, I'd like to be at the founder level. Um, I feel like having some time for myself to devote to exploring new technologies, networking, Contributing to open source projects and working on my own projects is better as a better use of my effort than giving it to all to some business that I don't have control over. Am I crazy or is this the right way to think? Maybe you've already discussed similar things in your podcasts. No, it's totally, totally the right way to think, at least in my opinion. And this, it feels like I have this conversation at least once a week with somebody that as an employee, and maybe this is just an American thing, I don't know, I'll probably generalize that, but as an employee, you tend to get, and whether it's an emotional investment or not, you feel this unreasonably biased loyalty to the people that are hiring you and paying you that the people that are paying you don't reciprocate. Mm-hmm. And that that's huge for me. And a lot of people, I, so I had a conversation probably last week with somebody that burning the midnight oil, like 20 hour days, 3 a.m., staying at the office until 3 a.m., going home, coming back at six. And Wait a minute, that uh, sounds like my job. Yeah, except... They're not getting paid nearly as well. And uh, at this point, I think they're eating all the overtime or they're not they're not sure if the overtime is going to get paid, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I feel like I just have to get this done. And I mean, it's one of those part of it you have to get done. Part of it's I mean, the scope was just way blown out. I mean, they just blew the scope completely out of the water and they couldn't couldn't keep up with it but everybody's got I think a ton of people have this misplaced loyalty that they feel they owe the company something because they've given them the privilege to sell themselves into indentured servitude and the company <laughs> could care less the company could care less about you I mean if you leave they'll find somebody to replace you and when the money dries up they're not going to go out of their way to make sure that you and your family is taken care of. I mean the loyalty is just not there. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's a very jaded view of the American workforce, but I mean I think definitely if you're going to put time and effort into it into something, have it be time and effort that goes into something that you own and will directly benefit you. I mean, don't putting all your resources into somebody else's nest egg is just misplaced loyalty in my opinion. Right. Yeah. That's, that's something that I've seen too. It's, it's easier, I think, to get into the the trap of being emotionally invested when you're in a startup. Um, at least in my experience, you know, the smaller company, you're, you're kind of part of the team, you're part of the group. Um, and so, you know, everybody's pulling long hours, everybody's you know, doing whatever it takes to make the company win. And so it's easy to get sucked into working 80 hour weeks because everybody else is. 
and you're generally in there with people you like because the company is really too small for you to be in there with people you really don't like. And so, you know, you, you I, I mean, I got sucked in with, with Mosey. I really got sucked in. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually I, I made my way out of there. Um, but they had grown like three or four times their size by the time I left. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really easy trap to get into and you definitely don't have control. But at the same time, I mean, some of these companies, they look really inviting. You know, it's it, they're attacking a, a market that you're interested in. They're solving a problem that you have. You know, you kind of see the writing on the wall for them as far as, you know, this could really go somewhere. And, you know, they're making you an offer that looks like a lot of money. So, how you know, how do you how do you balance that? How do you decide whether or not it's worth doing? Well, I mean, of course, like, especially when you're talking startups, of course, they're, they look inviting. I mean, think about it. Like, this is a company that has no track record. It's been in business for a month, maybe two months. It has no revenue. It doesn't have any idea how it's going to make revenue. Therefore, even calling it a business is a stretch of the word business. So yeah, they have to really throw a lot of like benefits your way in order to entice you to work there versus something that's more stable or something where you know you're going to get paid for the next five years if you're going to be there and retire there you know, it's, it's a, a risk reward thing. And so, yeah, like, I mean, I've seen stuff come across to me from startups that are like, oh, wow, this looks like, this is like awesome NASA type stuff, but it's not. It's like, they're just trying to build it up as much as they can and get you emotionally invested, you know? And that's, that's part of the game. That's how it is. It's like, you know, you, you need to attract good employees, but if you don't have kind of the company history to do that and you don't have the like founder charisma to do that, then they throw a lot of benefits your way, which could be attractive to some people and some people can use those benefits and then move on without getting stuck in the company. Right. And sort of, I mean, it's, uh, it's almost Pavlovian for a startup to attract the developer with new shiny. I mean, I mean, inherently developers want to solve problems. I mean, that's what we do. And we, I mean, to the point where we'll invent problems to solve. And so if you've got a startup that comes up with, a crazy problem that you you might get to solve with all this crazy new technology that you get to try to solve it with. I mean, that's that's like crack for an addict. I mean, it's really easy to to convince people to come, but yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. I think part of the thing is to at least for me in um, not being sucked in by a lot of these companies and things is that inevitably once I start looking at the companies I, I start finding the things that made me never want to work for certain other companies again um, and every company I worked for there there are there were always things that you know I'm, I'm a little wary of now and so um, I'm, I'm kind of with Kevin on this in that I don't think I'm really up for you know being involved in in a startup or even a larger company unless I get in at like the founder level and even then it depends on how much freedom and you know some of the things that I enjoy about being freelance now how much of that I, I get to retain yeah but to get into a startup at the founder level you're not going to have any freedom i mean the whole i mean you've got to dedicate your entire life basically if you're going to make that startup successful when you're on the hook at the founder level i mean that's yeah for, for me, for me, the thing is, is that, I, I mean, I've seen guys that start successful startups, they, you know, they take them all the way to a successful exit, you know, where they either get bought out or IPO or what have you, right? And so they, they get a ton of money out of it. And the, the only way that I can see that and justify it is the fact that they're effectively trading lifestyle now for lifestyle later. Um, and you have to decide if well, it's worth uh, that trade-off. They're, they're not trading it, they're gambling. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, they're gambling they are. all their lifestyle now for a potential lifestyle later. Okay, I agree. I'm just saying the guys that make it work, that's what that's what they traded. The guys that don't make it work, they just traded. You right, know. for all the guys that made it work, there are thousands of yes. guys that didn't. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, if you read kind of the more non-startup-y business books or you know entrepreneur-type books, a lot of them will talk about like, you have to do personal sacrifices and this and that. And I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's if you're going to start a business, you have to focus on it. You have to, you really can't work on a lot of other things and you're going to have to make personal sacrifices. And startups are kind of like the accelerated version of that. Like, you know, you could get bought by Google for a billion dollars, but more than likely you're going to fail. You're going to waste years of your life. You're going to hit yourself. People are going to hate you for not being around. But it's it's a gamble, and there's enough of a return that some people want to do it. And, you know, some places like the Valley, it's really, that's part of the culture, and that's actually something people enjoy. But, I mean, I think kind of what the 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 listener was talking about is, like, from what I got is he doesn't seem that he really wants that sort of thing. Right. And that's actually how I feel is, like, getting a job or working at a startup was, like, you know, an employee is, like, my last fallback. Like, I don't mm-hmm. like being tied down. It's not the right word, but I don't like being tied to one company where I can do an amazing job, help the company in so many ways, and then someone else in the company screws it up and the right. company folds. And so that's why I basically do freelance. It's so it's in a way I'm working for three to five companies at any time. If one of them makes a stupid mistake, I can tell them about it. But you know, if they fold, it doesn't actually cause all that much harm to me. And yeah. so, and it also, the other reason why I really freelance is I get to see a lot of companies, a lot of different systems and processes and software. And so, you know, I can see like, yeah, like this company has a really, really shitty management, but they, they have some really good software that runs in their company versus another company that might have stellar management, but their software is like, you know, Google Docs and Microsoft Access or something. And you can <laughs> kind of compare like, okay, how how important is management in this industry for this company versus the software? And so it's a kind of a broader perspective. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing that you said as far as um, making a mistake in the company folding just reminds me of, of another job that I had where they hired a VP of marketing. And um, I, I don't know if it's come up on this show. I know it's come up on some of the other shows in various ways because David Brady also worked there. But um, they hired a VP of marketing and uh, he basically accelerated their spending um, for this big uh, social social media, social network play that they were going for um, that was you know kind of attached to their niche that none of their paying customers actually really wanted, but they thought that it would pay off anyway. Yeah, and eventually what happened was they they their burn rate accelerated to the point where they had to let people go, and uh, that's when I got laid off and started freelancing. So it worked out for me in that sense, but at the same time, I mean, you're you're always in that position. One other thing that comes to mind though is that there are a lot of fallacies that that are kind of perpetuated in the full time job market. Um, you know, they kind of make it seem like. If you don't do everything that they say exactly when and how they say it, that you're going to lose your job. And that's not always the case. A lot of times you can negotiate your way around that. Um, Or if you come in and you just let them know. And this is something that happened at this particular job. And I think it's part of the reason why I got laid off in particular was that um, I I was pretty clear that I wasn't willing to do death marches. Um, I I compromised on that a little bit. They, They wound up giving us a pretty hefty bonus. And, and iPads as, 
as kind of compensation for that. But it was just like, look, you have to realize this is the first and last death march, no matter what the bonus is that I will ever do for you guys. And so as soon as the death march was over, they let they let three of us go. And it was the three of us that if they had asked for more hours than the allotted 40 hours a week, we would have looked at them and laughed. And, uh, you know, so you, you, you do see some of that. But in a lot of cases, if they know that that's what, what to expect, they either won't bring you in or, you know, you can work your way around it and just say, look, you know, I told you up front that I was I wasn't going to do this and I won't. And then then they will deal with it however they're going to deal with it. Well, I mean, it's negotiating tactics. I mean, you'll get into this as people freelance more, but it's like as an employee, the big negotiating thing that the employer has is that they can fire you. And I don't know the legalities, but most places in the U.S. you could be fired with very little reason. I mean, yeah. there needs to be some documentation, but like it's it's easy to fire someone. It, and it doesn't matter anymore because even if you're fired for cause, you can collect unemployment. And, yeah, and, and I mean, like, my wife's in HR, so, like, I hear a lot of the, the nitty-gritty, but, like, if you really piss off the employer or, like, whoever's in charge of you, you could be let go right away. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, like, the final straw. Like, they always will have that negotiating chip over you if you're an employer employee. And so, and the fact that since you, as an employee, you typically only work one job, that's, like, one person has so much control and can make so much decisions about your life that it's you you get stuck and you have to do these death marches and stuff and whereas when you freelance like yeah even if you have like two clients and one of them you know the contract lets the the client let you go that's still only 50% of your stuff like you could still survive and it's really not that hard and the fact that it's also backed up by a contract, you, you know, we were talking earlier, Chuck, about some of this, you could even have like kill rates or kill fees and stuff. So if you do get let go, you could say like, oh, well, you're killing the project. You owe me $10,000 cash now. So yeah. it's not just a, hey, uh, here's here's your last pay stub, go home type thing. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is I think, I think we have this mental problem with being fired and, you know, like, like, rejection, you, like you failed or something. Yeah. And um, you know, like, well, no one in this town will hire me if I get fired or something like we have to, there's, there's this societal thing about it, but I know folks that have been fired that went and got a job the next day or, you know, within that week, um, you know, they, they, and they were fired because they had personality clashes with their manager. Um, and it's just, you know, it, depending on how good the job market is, I mean, it, it may not be this major blow to your financial life or anything, but it's still this, it, it, it just seems so traumatic when you're when you're in that position i i don't completely understand why yeah and i mean to look at the bigger perspective like even if you do get fired and even if it's for like a really shitty reason like you know you really screwed up or something at least right now the job market for most developers is so strong that you could walk across the street and get a job you know it's finding a full-time employment is not that hard i mean some places it might be harder especially if you can't do remote stuff but like there's a huge what is it there's a huge gap in the supply of good developers mm-hmm. and so that's you know that's the other thing it's like yeah you might get fired for a personality conflict you know but you can go someplace else and might have that fixed so yeah. but and it's to kind of get back to the original question like i've i'm kind of i agree with the guy like oh, there's a lot of enticing offers i actually had one from a startup yesterday like you know, we're looking to hire new rock star engineers, and I'm just like, meh. And I, you know, I don't even reply anymore because I found freelancing is the best thing for me. It's the best mm-hmm. thing for my family, yep. and I enjoy it more than full time employment at this point. You know, and you can always change your mind. Like, it's not a hard thing. Like, if I feel like next week I want to get a job, I can do that. 
Yeah, I actually have a canned reply in um, Text Expander, and so whenever I get those emails, I I literally I type four characters and hit send, <laughs> and they get this thing that says. I'm focused on building my business right now, but if this is a contract and I can work it from home and blah, 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 then, you know, then let me know. And it's interesting because sometimes they're from uh, recruiters that actually will go back to their client and talk to them and I'll get an email back and, oh, well, they're thinking about it. But most of the time that's enough and they just leave me alone. Um, I've also had to change my phone number or not my phone number, but my voicemail message that basically says, if I don't recognize your number, don't be surprised if I don't pick it up because I'm getting so many calls. And, and that's both an indicator of how strong the market is, but also just a way of, of dealing with a lot of that where um, these companies are looking for somebody, they've hired somebody to go and find developers for them. You know, that that's a tactic that I use to kind of uh, handle that. And so it basically says, you know, I only answer the phone if you're one of my clients or a family member. And if you're not, then you can leave a message and I might get back to you or you can email me and I will get back to you. So... Um, you know, it just kind of pushes everybody to that point where I can manage it. And then, yeah, you just deal with it that way. So that, that's, that's, that's my tactics for handling that. Um, but yeah, I, I want to, I just want to go back and, and agree with Eric and with Kevin, you know, where he, I, I think he is thinking the right way as far as, you know, having the freedom to explore what he wants to explore and, and, uh, you know, to stay out of, you know, the situation where he's not in control in, in the full-time job. Yeah, and I just I want to say it's not so much the right way in that like you know this is against the law or this is what you should do, but it's what is the right way for him? Like what mm-hmm. makes him feel the best? Some people are destined to be employees. Some people are destined to do startup stuff. Like that's that's in their blood. That's what they do. Some people aren't, and you know it's like you just got to kind of realize that about yourself, and it kind of might be good to explore like the different aspects of work and figure out what you really like and what you really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Not so much as like oh I like coding or I like writing, but as like I like working for someone or I like being my own boss and I mean once you find that then that's the right way for you and it could be the wrong way for millions of other people but you know that doesn't matter because you're not millions of other people yeah and the other caveat to all of this is to time box some of it so I mean it might be everybody I think we talked about this early on like how do you get started freelancing in Ruby if you've never done any Ruby or whatever but I mean it's the same the same idea. I mean, you might be able to time box. All right, so I'll give a year to this startup because they're playing with a lot of cool stuff that I want to play with, and I'll have someone breathing down my neck, forcing me to learn it instead of trying to have the self-discipline to learn it on my own. So that's a, a reasonable trade-off I'll make. Mm-hmm. But so I mean, yeah, I agree with Eric. I mean, it's even in freelancing. I mean, there's going to come a time when chasing clients is not going to get fun anymore, and I'd rather do something else I imagine and just whatever works for you and your family. I mean, that's, that's all it's about really. I mean, see, I I have a heavy business background, so I don't know if this kind of, I don't know, idea works for other people, but I'm going to share just in case. But I look at my life kind of more as a business in that I have a certain amount of capacity, which is, you know, how long I'm going to live, like my working life. And in that time, I need to make investments so that I get the best return. Now, that investment might be working for an employer for a year, or it might be freelancing for a couple of years, or it might be going down to San Francisco for a month to work with a startup and see if something can happen of it. But all of those I look at as investments of this is how much of my limited time I put in and how much money and any other resources I have and what kind of returns can I expect? And so 
I always look at things like that. And so, you know, if someone comes up with this new thing, like, hey, Eric, I want to start a startup with you. I can look at it and say, that's just not worth my investment of time right now. Like, there's more valuable investments I can make with it. And so mm-hmm. I'll pass on it. And so that's, that's kind of how I look at things. But once again, I mean, I have a very strong business background and finance background. So it's, it's an easy thought for me, but that might help some other people think about it. I mean, your, your job and your career isn't just, you know, working here, working there. It's actually like a linked thing of like, this is what you're doing with your life. This is what you're investing your time into. Yeah. I I think, I think it's important to look at things that way from, from the perspective of where you're going to go as well. And I I think we all do it to a certain degree, whether we know it or not. Uh, For example, when you get pitched by somebody who's saying, I'll give you 30% equity in my company, if you'll build this product for me, you know, we all decide whether or not that investment has enough return or not, depending on, how successful it's going to be and whether or not it's going to take care of our needs, um, you know, in the short short term and the long term. Um, but yeah, I, I really like the approach. I, I think it makes a lot of sense and, and kind of takes that to, to the next level where you're really being deliberate about what you're investing and why. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the thing is, it's, make it a conscious choice. I mean, because I was offered a job at a company that is probably one of the few companies I would actually want to work at as an employee. And I sat down and talked to my wife about it and we decided like, yeah, this is a good opportunity, but I have better opportunities doing my freelance and product stuff. And so mm-hmm. we actually decided to pass on it, even though it was like, oh, wow, this is amazing and you know, almost ground floor level type stuff. But it was like, it's still not quite good enough compared to what I have going on. If things were really bad in my freelance business or I wanted to change my freelance business, that opportunity might have been a higher return and I would have become a full-time employee. Yeah, I've, I've had a few people talk to me about, you know, coming on as kind of the CTO, whether they're just getting started or whether they've been established for a little while. And yeah, it's the same thing. It's like, well, I would get all of these things that I've always thought I wanted, but ultimately I'd, I'd be sacrificing these other things and it's just not worth it. So yeah, it makes sense. So one one other thing that um, I'd like to get into maybe a little bit since we have a few minutes is, uh, you know, I've, I've been kind of running into this a little bit where um, I really enjoy, I, I really like freelancing. I really like contracting for people, but um, the more time I spend doing the the podcasts and things, um, the more time it seems to take. And so I wind up trying to figure out which one I should be putting my time into because I feel like I'm trying to ride two horses. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so, you know, just chasing that down, I, I really enjoy the podcasts and want to continue them. Um, but it's the, the contracting that's paying the bills. So when you're in a situation like that, how do you usually approach it? Um, for me, cause, okay. So I do the freelancing and then I work on products and stuff, which is my eBooks and then most recently Chirk. And so kind of how I've done it is I figured out a long time ago, like this is how much I can work per day. There's about 20 work days in a month. And so therefore it's, I don't remember how many, but I have this many hours of, you know, really good focus work time. And so what I'll do is if I have some projects that take up half of that, I have half left and so that's basically my open availability. And normally when you have open availability, when you're freelancing, you go out and sell it and get projects to fill it. Well, what I did instead is I actually, my company bought my own time and filled my own time. So it ended up being that I had three client projects going on and then I had a fourth client project, but it was actually working on my products. So like in your case, Chuck, it'd be, you know, you might have a project for your podcast and then a project for the other things you're working on. And I run them like client projects. Like here's your budget. When you run out of budget, it's done. Um, And it basically resets every month or whatever. And so that's kind of what I do. And 
I've experimented with different ways, like, you know, maybe give it every Friday is when you work on those projects, or maybe one week a month, you do a hard focus and all you do is work on that podcast project. Um, but that's, it seems to be the simplest and it's also really easy and flexible in that like, okay, the podcasts aren't working. I'm going to cancel that project and then pick up a client project. So it's, it's a very right. simple mental thing to keep in your head instead of doing like the 10% time or something like that. Right. So you effectively treat your, your company as another client. Yeah, exactly. Hmm, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, the it, it's tricky too because in a lot of cases, I mean, I don't know anybody who just has like one idea that they're going to chase. You know, usually people have several ideas that they could pursue. And um, so, so narrowing that down is also tricky. And uh, one thing that I found there is just you've you've got to just focus on one and just make that one happen, and then and then move on to the next one. And if it turns out that the one you're focusing on isn't the one that's going to capitalize one way or the other, then you can switch to another one. Just make sure that the opportunity cost isn't something that's going to make it. You know, you're not losing out too much um, on the one to switch to the other. I don't know if I explained that very well. No, I mean. In the... I can't remember there's some, you know, analogy or saying that's like the same thing, but it's the idea of like, you know, eggs in a basket and stuff. If you try to do one thing really well, you're going to get a lot farther than if you do 40 things, you know, Mm -hmm. because of task switching and just, you know, everyone knows how this works. But, you know, the other side is you just kind of need to to know like, okay, when should I kill this project? Like when, when are like, I'm just using podcasts because that's an easy example for you, Chuck, but like when, when should I stomp doing podcasts? When are these not working for me? And on the other hand is when should I put the podcast into maintenance mode where they're still going, but they're not really growing. And I have some time to build up another project. Yep. Because that's, that's kind of how I've done it is I've written a book, marketed it, put into maintenance mode, did another book, launched it, put into maintenance mode and basically kept cycling that. And so I have three books that are kind of in maintenance mode, you know, doing a very little stuff, but they take like none of my time. And then I'm working on another project to kind of build that up. And then I don't know if I'll put it into maintenance mode, but it's kind of, you know, slowly scaling up with things. Right. That makes sense. Is there anything you wanted to add, Jeff? No, I don't have anything useful to add to discussion. I mean, I appreciate what Eric's talking about, but my organizational habits do not lend themselves to that type of rigor. All right, cool. Well, um, we have about 15 minutes left. Do we want to jump into the picks? Sure. All right, Eric, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Okay, so I got two picks this time. And in case people don't know, we recently had a baby two weeks ago. So my oh, picks are right. kind Congratulations. of centered around that. Thanks. Um, the first one I actually had before that, it's called Do App, uh, D-U-E. It's an iOS app. I think it also is for the Mac, but it's a really simple way to do like reminders. And so I've been doing that because um, my wife had to take some medication as a result of the pregnancy and all that. And also for myself for like vitamins and, you know, things that we're supposed to do every day that we don't. Mm-hmm. And I've been using this app for it. It's probably the best app I've seen as far as like actually reminding me and the alarms actually work on it. Um, and it's nice thing about it, it's super quick and it syncs over, I think, Dropbox and iCloud. So if you have it on your phone or your iPod or your iPad, and I think it even syncs with the Mac thing, the the Mac version. So like, you know, if you check something off as I, I did this, cancel the reminder, it cancels it across all your devices. Um, and then the second thing is on a website called No Meat Athlete, it's uh, it's called the Perfect Smoothie Formula. So I'm having to stay up late nights uh, just to watch the baby and all that. And so I don't want to have a lot of caffeine because then I'd be awake all the night and I try to eat healthy. And so I basically stumbled upon this and actually tried it. 
it's a pretty cool, like if, especially as a programmer, you're going to really like it. It's a smoothie formula. And it's like you need eight different ingredients, but it's not ingredients like you need a banana and you need uh, strawberries. It's like you need a soft fruit, you need a handful of frozen food. And it's very kind of like Lego-ish in that you can plug and play different things you want. Um, so I've been having this for probably about a week straight every night and different versions each night. And it's, it's really good. It's the only smoothie formula that, or actually smoothie recipe that I've actually liked and actually stuck with more than once. So that's, that's another pick. It's especially if you wanting to eat healthier and kind of get a little bit more energy. This is, this is supposed to be a really good breakfast thing too. Huh. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. We'll have the link in the show notes for that. And congratulations again on that baby. Thanks. So, um, Jeff, what are your picks? Uh, my pick is just this week's, um, where did it go? Of course, I copied it into show notes and I don't have, uh, Freelance Switch, Freelance Freedom. It's a weekly comic and it's not going to do anybody any good to talk about it, but you have to go, <laughs> you have to go read it because it, it's hilarious. It's one of those comics that are normally, you can normally relate to and that's why it's so funny, but this one's about a Tumblr timer. It's just hilarious. I nice. think so, anyways. Yeah, the the freelance switch. I've seen a few of their comics, and they're pretty funny. A lot of good stuff on freelance switch as well. Um, in fact, I think I see articles fairly regularly from there in the Freelance Weekly, right? Yeah, yeah. They put. I mean, they. I don't know how big their staff is. I mean, they probably publish three or four articles a day. I mean, they're they're a big source. I mean, they're a big source of freelance content. I mean, I I probably include two or three a week and freelancing weekly yep yeah good stuff yeah. yeah when i got started freelancing i was using their site a lot i don't know if it was new or just barely getting started but like it seemed like almost every post is like oh i could use this in my brand new business yep. and so like if you know if you go there like i don't know if they have like a, the best of or stuff like that but a lot of the posts in their archive are really good too mm-hmm yeah, I've, I've found when I'm uh, Googling something like, how do I organize this or how do I manage this in my freelance business? A lot of times I'll run across an article from Freelance Switch and go, oh, yeah. And did they did they have a podcast as well for a while or was that a different yeah. freelancer site? No, they did. They had a it was four of them. It was like two designers and a developer and a social media guy. Yeah, copywriter. Yeah. And they stopped and then they had done like a year and a half, maybe that long, and then stopped for like a year and a half. And I thought they were going to try it. It came back as like reloaded or something like they were going to do it again. But I don't know if they've gotten past like the first couple episodes. Yeah, that's one thing that seems to be the rule in general was that uh, it's really hard to get past like six or seven episodes. It was like freelance radio or something. Was uh, Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. I really enjoyed the podcast. but Yeah, and if I remember right, because I listened to that too, I, th- I think a lot of their stuff was relevant at any time. Like if you listen to it now, you're still going to get ideas. Yeah. It wasn't very like newsy or anything. Yeah, definitely. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put a link um, and see if we can find both the website and a link in iTunes. And then um, did you have any other picks, Jeff? No, that was it. Just a uh, freelance freedom. Okay. Um, so I've, I've kind of started reading blogs and things again um, in, in my non-existent spare time. And uh, one of the ways that I've been doing that is I've been uh, using Google Reader. And uh, the, the thing that did I like... Get, well, go ahead. Did you get killed? I mean, there was this giant snafu with Google Reader, like in the last, I don't know, 72 hours or something that basically reset all your red counts on all your feeds or something. Everybody's 
annoyed by that now, including all the readers that sync with Google Reader. It was fixed. I, like I, I saw that like I had it happen across on that my iPad app I use, and then it got fixed like the next day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't seen anything, but I haven't been on it for a few days because I was at um, Cub Scout Day Camp yesterday, and and then I had Roundtable, which is the leader training for Cub Scouts in the evening, and and the day before that, I took my kids to the zoo, and then wound up with a tension headache that afternoon. I think just from being in the sun and not <laughs> and, and not from hours. taking your kids to the zoo. What? That would give me a tension headache. <laughs> I'm getting a tension headache just thinking about it. <laughs> I think it was just that I was, you know, out in the sun for, you know, four or five hours. And I didn't, I didn't you know, go to any trouble to drink a lot of water or anything like that. So, but anyway, kids at the zoo was fun. But anyway... So I've been using Google Reader. Um, I used to use Google Reader before, and then I just went in and I removed all of my subscriptions and kind of ignored it for a while because I subscribed to probably like 30 or 40 blogs. And I, you know, it, it turns into that big bucket that you don't want to sort through because there's too much there. And so what what I've done now is um, I was I was talking to Cliff Ravenscraft during one of our podcast mastermind meetings, and he mentioned that um, that he was using Google Reader, and I was like, well, how do you do it without going nuts? Well, it turns out he only had like eight or nine blogs in his Google Reader, and he was explaining that if he added something into Google Reader that he'd probably move something else out. And that made a lot of sense to me. So I've pretty well restricted my um, my Google Reader diet to, I think I have seven websites in there right now. I might go up to 10, but that's probably as much as I'm going to do. And um, if you're if you're curious, I'll tell you what, what I'm subscribed to. I'm currently subscribed to 48 Days. That's Dan Miller, 48 Days to the Work You Love. Um, we didn't say we were curious. Well, maybe our <laughs> listeners are. Okay. Well, are we going to wait for them to say that? <laughs> we might be waiting for a while. I haven't opened up any lines for them to call in or anything. Um, I, I'm also subscribed to Freelance Switch, incidentally, on here. Uh, Michael Hyatt's blog. Um, he was the editor-in-chief or something for Thomas Nelson Publishing. Then he was the CEO, and now he's like chairman of the board or something. Um, I'm also su- subscribed to RubyFlow, and I just kind of browse that to see if anything interesting floats through. Um, SEO Moz, uh, Seth Godin's blog, and then the YUI, Yahoo User Interface Group, because they talk about a lot of interesting stuff with JavaScript. So um, It's an interesting approach. Sort of a Kanban, limit your work in progress, but for distraction or whatever. Yeah, there are a whole bunch of apps for the iPhone and iPad that will hook into Google Reader and allow you to do that wherever you go. And so that's the other appeal for me with Google Reader is just the fact that you can access it pretty much anywhere and uh, read this stuff. One other thing that I've done with a lot of the newsletters I get, because I get a whole bunch, I get um, a couple of Peter Coopers and then I get a couple of uh, Jeffs and I get one or two others that you know just give you a list of articles that are curated and interesting which is really nice for me because then I don't have to go and you know hunt for things that might be interesting to read and you know sort through a whole bunch of stuff that I don't care about um, you know you guys do a pretty good job of that and so I've been using instapaper to uh, to save a copy of that and they also have apps for the iPad and stuff and so then I can just go back in and read it later and so th- those are kind of my ways of keeping up on things and and that was kind of brought to mind by Kevin's email about, you know, learning new technologies and stuff. So, yeah, I tried I've I've waffled back and forth between Google Reader and not Google Reader. I'd used NetNewsWire for a long time on the Mac and then went to Vienna because I don't know if there was a good reason I went to Vienna, but I did. But then I was using I want to say Mr. Reader 
on the iPad specifically because it had support for multiple Google Reader accounts, and I thought that was going to help me when because it's going to take all of my newsletters and split up feeds that I use for those newsletters and create accounts for each of those so that I could like spend a day and look at freelancing stuff and spend the next day and look at iOS stuff or whatever. But mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see how it works out. I mean, I don't have a good flow for that. I don't know. I don't know how Peter does any of that stuff, but it's just. Consuming all that content is just uh, a task in itself. I could ask him if you like. Sure. Um, but yeah, the the app that I use on my iPad is Feedler. Let me see if I can find it real quick in iTunes. Yeah, I, I, I use Reader, which was, you know, it's been on the iOS for a while. They I, did a new update, like the 3.0 update, and I actually hate it now. I'm using uh, Mr. Reader on the iPad, and I don't know what I'm going to use on the iPhone. I used Reader in the beginning and River of News. And they were, I mean, for me, the test for any RSS reader is whether or not it can import all my subscriptions because I have like 1,500 subscriptions or something. Mm-hmm. And normally that just chokes all of them and they die horrible deaths. But yeah, I had, I had issues. River of News was cool, I think, in the beginning. But I don't know, for whatever reason, I stopped. Maybe Google Reader's sync wasn't working or that they were not being updated or I don't know. Yeah. But there are like a billion RSS reader apps out there. Yeah, just find one that works for you that you like. But yeah, anyway, so uh, we're right at an hour. I'm just going to quickly remind everybody we're reading uh Get Clients Now um, by CJ Hayden. Have we confirmed a date on her yet? Uh, we're still waiting to hear back. I think it's going to be close. I mean, she went on vacation to Spain for like a month at the very beginning of June. And so uh, I don't know if she's checking her email at that time. I haven't heard back from her, but okay. I'm all, it'll probably, I don't know. It'll be close if it happens or we might have to reschedule. Okay, that's fine. Um, but anyway, we were talking about, you know, the, within the first two weeks of July. So we'll yeah. kind of see where things are at. And I realize that the first week of July, that puts it on July 5th, which makes things kind of tricky since we're right by the 4th of July. So we may or may not record or we may move the date anyway. But we'll, we'll just see if, if she confirms for the 5th, then we'll make it work. But if not, then we'll we'll figure things out. Um, yeah, I mean, according to my calendar, the 5th of July is right the day after the 4th of July. I know. Your that calendars. Happen, that happens every year to me. But. Had to get a little snark in there for you. <laughs> I know. Thank you. All right. So, so we're reading the book and um, hopefully Evan can make it back next week. And uh, we will catch you all next week as well. See ya. Yep. Have a good, have a good time later. Whatever. I'll stumble over all my exit sayings. Yeah. Have a good see you. Bye. For reals.